Welcome back to the Dr. Marcy Show on the Path Forward Utah. Thank you so much for listening to the show each week. We really appreciate in the Path Forward Utah group how our audience is expanding and our goal of being able to help uh, so many in our communities and our states seeing the path forward in terms of what it is that we can do in our communities and our countries to help out with all those problems that we see that have um, been occurring and especially post 2020 so that we have awareness. And my show especially is about awareness and being able to see past what it is that we normally can see. We're also searching to help in mental health so that we don't get uh, dragged down by the difficulties of the day so that we can help each other, uh, lift each other, that we can uh, try to solve problems in a good way, in a human way, so that we don't forget our humanity. Um, again, especially, I hope that I'm able to help you see things and become more aware of those things that you don't already or normally see. And this week, I am, am continuing forward with our discussion from last week. So last week on the show, I discussed some of the pros and cons of both the conservative and the liberal economic perspectives. And I promised that I would continue the topic this week because economics, and let's face it, you know, some of the problems associated with it, and especially since post-2020, is some of the home buying or renting issue. That's become a huge issue and certainly one of the most mentally distressing topics for many people out there right now. So I promised I would continue this week discussing about economics, money, and especially the housing issue. So later in the show, I'm bringing a guest on. Her name's Wendy Garvin, and she is a homeless advocate that helped to start a new nonprofit called Unsheltered that gathers needed items, delivers them to the homeless. And this is not just a once in a while thing. We're talking weekly and sometimes daily. She is spending really on the streets, helping out those who need it so very much right now. So she is, so to speak, the boots on the ground. She knows the people, the problems, the needs. And um, I'm hoping some of those uh, solution-focused lessons that many of us don't know if we're not right down there on the streets, really seeing what it is that's going on. So, you know, she's an amazing person uh, devoting so much of her time to the less fortunate. And I, I quite frankly, think she is one seriously bad, uh, um, best way to put it, bad mama jama here. (laughs) Taking care of the business that, quite frankly, many people pretend that they don't see. But I don't know if you've driven around Salt Lake during 2020 and continuing into 2021, how you can't see that it's an issue. We have developed into a city in Salt Lake City and and other cities as well into a much more homeless community, tent camps, etc. than ever existed before. It's there. And I, you know, 2020, I was shocked to see the way that it was. And quite frankly, shocked that our government for a while wasn't even talking about it. (laughs) You know, big, long blocks of tents 
it's an issue. It's a, it's a thing. It's a real thing. And many people want to pretend that it's not real or that somehow it's magically going to go away. Well, the reality is with our economics going on right now and housing getting um, more and more difficult, I don't see it magically going away. So I do think we need to talk about it. I think we need to see what's going on, have awareness of what is going on so that we can come up with some solutions to the problem. All right. So I look forward to hearing what Wendy Garvin has to say uh, a little later on in the show. Um, But before she comes on the show, I just wanted to remind you of some of the economic thoughts that I had, um, of course, that shows both sides of the economic coin, so to speak. And as some of you may recall, the conservative stance of uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps or trickle-down economics, the American dream, um, all those fun attributes that capitalism provides for us. And, of course, if you recall, I love capitalism, a true entrepreneur in my spirit, so it's a great economic system for someone like myself sometimes, right? (laughs) some successes, some failures, but it's the potential economic growth for many, but they're still missing pieces of that economic platform on the conservative side. Let's such as, you know, recognizing that we have some of those that are less fortunate in our societies all the time, that not everybody gets to be on the winning ticket of um, growth, progress, moving forward in economic and money, so to speak. So uh, some people don't come designed as maybe smart as others or not as lucky or not as able, not as educated. They haven't had opportunities or the family or the connections, whatever it is, they have not been able to succeed in the economic platform at any given time in our society. And so I think sometimes when we have the perspective, that conservative perspective of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, we certainly are talking about the majority of people and the capability that the majority of people have. But there are still those in a society that at any given time don't have that ability. And we have to recognize that one size kind of fits all mentality maybe doesn't work for everyone. So I think sometimes um, it's really important to see beyond what it is we naturally lean towards. And if you naturally lean towards that conservative economic policy, pay attention. There might be some pieces that you're missing. So um, on the liberal economic platform, there are some pros to it or some positive aspects of it. Uh, Certainly there's an emphasis on the idea of taking care of the less fortunate. I like that there's an emphasis on that from that perspective. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of the solutions to the problem from that perspective don't work. And in the long run, they end up hurting people that they intended to help. And I think that is a limited vision of that economic policy. So they also need to expand the horizons and say, what is working from a conservative side? What can we learn there when we go to help take care of the poor, right? What is it that we can learn that we can't see when we're taking care of the less fortunate, all right? Um, The liberal mentality with economics is certainly no poor among us, tax corporations, tax wealthy, higher minimum wage, or as it's now called the livable wage, and certainly bigger government, government distribution, which creates 
a situation that we see in 2020 because we spent so much money during COVID. Ridiculous amounts of money, which during COVID I was calling, you know, we're playing with monopoly money. It's definitely going to catch up to us. And it is catching up. Now, many of you out there, it hasn't fully caught up to you yet, but it is starting to catch up to people right now. Because when we play with monopoly money or printed money and we're we're just kind of throwing it out there. I mean, we think, oh yeah, every individual person got $600 or $1,500 or whatever it is, right? In terms of adults. Yeah, that was all printed money, but that wasn't the main amount. State governments were given astronomical amounts of money. State governments that filtered it down to uh, municipalities, counties, they received a ridiculous amount of money, just, I guess, printed up money, right? Um, And when we do that, it is right around the corner that there's going to be inflation, meaning rising costs of everything. So if you've been, if you visited the grocery store lately, things cost more gas. Certainly we know gas costs more. And whenever gas costs more, everything costs more because to transport it to the schools, to do, not to the schools, to the stores um, and to the schools, it costs money. It costs money to transport. And so when gas goes up, everything else goes up. We're looking at the face, the start of inflation. And we need to be very, very careful when we look at economic approaches, because sometimes those things that sound nice really are not right. So it may sound nice to give money out like that, but in reality, it ends up hurting sometimes the people that you intended to help. When we're printing money and then inflation goes up, we might've put a bandaid on it. We might've put a bandaid on the problem, but we really didn't solve the problem because now it's going to come around to bite people even worse. And so you are seeing it in the grocery stores. You are seeing it at the gas pump. You are seeing it in travel. You are seeing it certainly in housing. We're going to talk more about the housing issue on the other side. You are listening to the Dr. Marcy show. Welcome back to the Dr. Marcy show. I am Dr. Marcy Campbell here, helping you see more than you already can see, expanding your horizons, um, increasing your perspectives. And today we're doing more talk on the economics, the economics post 2020, and certainly some of the concerns, mental health concerns that people have, um, because it is really high stress whenever we're talking about money, right? Whenever you talk about money problems, it is an incredibly stressful time. And I want you to know, I recognize that and people around you are recognizing it too. Some of the comments I've heard um, just recently, I would say is people have quite a bit of confusion because it appears that there are many in 
the state of Utah and surrounding states that are spending lots of money still as though there's not been a problem, an economic problem in their life. They're still moving forward as though 2020 did nothing. And then there's this stark difference between that and people where their livelihoods really were crushed and they haven't been able to get back on their feet yet. They've been um, going through a lot of difficulties. And so there's this kind of divide, I would say, or a divide feeling of, wait a minute, why are all these people still doing okay? And yet there's this other group where they're not, they're not doing okay yet. And if you're in the group that's not doing okay, um, you're not alone. You need to know there's a whole big subgroup of you in the state or surrounding states that are also struggling and suffering and worrying and stressed. You are not the only one. So while it seems like, oh, yes, there's a lot of jobs, et cetera, out there, there are still people who go towards getting jobs or trying to figure it out, and it's not working out for them still. And then there's the stress of the big topic of the day, housing. So sometimes when things all kind of crash at the same time, it's really difficult. Where do I go first? How do I do something first? And with inflation, it becomes even more confusing. Oh my goodness, everything's going up. And then you get somewhat of that panicking feeling of how am I going to do it? How am I going to do it? And uh, I want you to know you're not the only one. And more importantly, if you are not struggling, look around. Look around because people are struggling around you and you may not even know it or be aware of it. Open up your eyes to see it's not just you. I saw a really great story on um, the Bountiful, it's a Bountiful Utah Facebook page yesterday of a girl saying, I I didn't get to thank you properly, but whoever was in Costco when I had my small children crying and I went to pay and I must have forgotten my wallet at home and I'd already checked everything out and I was about to cry and a woman stepped up and just paid for my groceries for me. I love stories like that where someone was paying attention outside of themselves. And she said, and my kids were crying and I wasn't able to properly thank you. And then you just disappeared. And when I hear stories like that, it makes me think, oh, yay, people are paying attention, pay attention to what is beyond where you are standing today look past. So there are people right now struggling around you and you may not be aware of it. So just, um, if I could, if I could say anything during this time period, it is please be aware of others around you so we can keep our humanity. You know, there were times in 2020 where I was worried, are we losing our humanity with each other? And I I want desperately to try to help people cling to humanity that we're in this together. We're in all of this thing called life together. So, you know, I'm, I'm advocating for our awareness to see beyond where it is where we currently are. So that's my little soapbox for today. Please look beyond. But as you know, back to economics, inflation is here, at least part of it is here. And one of the very big concerns is housing, housing in the state of Utah. Utah has seen nearly 27% housing prices increase in the past year. And it doesn't seem to be slowing down. According to the National Association of Home Builders, um, they reported that lumber has spiked 180% since the spring of 2020. 
and I just scream, yikes, you know. I remember it was just a couple of months ago when the builders that I know were shocked when they went to get their their uh, supplies and it had, you know, it had spiked almost 50% that week. And it's, you know, what is a builder to do? What is a builder to do when they have, when they've put a bid and gone into a contract to build you a house, when they go to purchase supplies and it's gone up 40%, they don't have the extra money to pay to build your house. Right. And I know sometimes people want to harp on those builders like, Hey, you have a contract, you have to do it. Well, where are they supposed to come up with the extra money to purchase the supplies for those homes? So these builders are scrambling. What am I going to do? Especially the, you know, the smaller builders, the large builders, you know, end up uh, figuring it out. Right. But it's a lot of times those smaller builders that get into precarious positions when prices of supplies to build your house go up so much. And so, of course, there's this monstrous concern about housing. Well, yesterday on the radio, there was a question and answer um, session with Governor Cox, the governor, Governor Spencer Cox in the state of Utah. It was on our local iHeart radio show. And a caller called in with what, of course, I think is a very relevant question, which is, what are you going to do about the housing prices and the housing crisis in the state of Utah? And his reply was, was an interesting, an interesting observation, I guess, for me. Um, first of all, he said, you know, well, you, it's a problem that we have as Utah has been the number one growth state in the country for the past 10 years, which I think is interesting because our government has consistently proposed that Utah being the number one in growth has always been a positive thing. And I've always thought, well, we need to look at the downside of it as well. And I've been saying this for years. And of course, being in real estate for over 30 years, I've been saying it's going to, it's going to be a bad thing in terms of housing. And I kind of want, you know, warning everybody for several years now, this could be a really bad thing for housing. Why are they promoting it as such a great thing? Growth is good. Number one growth for 10 years straight there's going to be potential very serious problems down the road with that type of growth. And that's just the reality of economics. And so I I still feel like, you know, maybe, maybe it's slow down on the whole. We're so great in growth. That's just, you know, my own little opinion, but um, his, he stated three ways that we could potentially address this, this housing crisis problem. And one of them he said was to work with potentially better loans for first time home buyers. I'm not sure exactly how that can be done. He didn't say, but you know, as most of you know, interest rates are as low as it, it could possibly probably ever be in the last several years. They're still very low. Um, so I'm not quite sure, you know, I know with a lot of hard money loans, we ended up having that 2008 real estate crash. So I don't think that that's the pro- the solution, but um, he just kind of threw it out there, didn't didn't specify why. The second one was his response with high-density housing, which he said wasn't maybe good to have everywhere, but it is good to have where we have the infrastructure such as tracks. I know that the intention down the road is to have tracks going through at least Davis County, but I, I'm not sure other communities that they anticipate doing that. And I'm sure as you as you're well aware, some of that planning um, is already moving forward with all the high-rise buildings that are going up all over the place. So I'm sure a lot of people are making pretty penny on building those high-rise, high-density housings. And I don't know if you've noticed in the news, it seems like they really are pushing the younger generation, kind of jumping on board the mentality of high-density housing rather than 
hoping for single family dwelling down the road as they get older. So something to pay attention to along the Wasatch Front. And then the third one he said was government regulations, such as allowing for mother-in-law apartments where you can rent out your basement. Um, The reality is, you know, I think a lot of people might turn to that and that could potentially be a solution, but I don't see any of these three as the end all. How are we going to solve this housing crisis? Um, But I do like that it's being talked about on the show, on the radio shows. I do like that. So at least we are talking about it because it is a reality for many, many people. And on the other side, we are going to talk to my guest, Wendy Garvin, about the homelessness issue in the state of Utah. You're listening to The Dr. Marcy Show. Welcome back again. You are listening to the Dr. Marcy Show. I am Dr. Marcy Campbell. And today we are so grateful to have the guest Wendy Garvin come to the show. She is here as an advocate and a super awesome, amazing person that has worked with our homeless community. And um, I just want to have bring her on. Welcome to the show, Wendy. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me here. Well, I appreciate your time and uh, the time to come and teach us all that you know and the time that we get to have you. So thank you for being here. Why don't you just let our audience know a little bit more about your background and why it is that you are working with the homeless population? Well, uh, to be honest, I really stumbled into it. I was working for another nonprofit and um, we had uh, we had space in our building where um, unsheltered folks could come in. They could uh, they could get some food. They could have some coffee. They could charge their their cell phones and wash up in our bathrooms. And um, and part of my job was to be down in that space and manage the the time and the space. And so I got to be friends with a lot of them. And when COVID hit, uh, it was um, the the nonprofit made the decision that uh, they couldn't allow the homeless population in anymore. And it was devastating. It was, uh, these people were my friends and I was worried about them. And so I started going out uh, to find them, to find out where they were landing um, and to try and start replacing those services that they had been missing, the food and the, the access to power and things like that. And that's what started me on this journey. I just, uh, I, I was, the, the timing the timing made it urgent to go and do something different. And so I started to go find them on the streets and found so many more that really, really needed help. Um, I love that. So um, just a little background too. I know Wendy because she was one of the people who really jumped in on the 2019 tax referendum right at the beginning as one of the organizers. She was fantastic. And so that's how I came to know her. So here it is, this tax referendum where all these different um, amazing people stepped up to work on the tax referendum at 2019 and um, into early January 2020, where they all came together. And then from there, so many also continued forward helping communities in other ways. And Wendy's one of those that, you know, also moved forward helping her community in another way. And more particularly in starting a nonprofit called Unshelter. Is that correct? Unsheltered Utah. 
Unsheltered Utah. Okay, so what are the goals of Unsheltered Utah? Well, right now we spend uh, the majority of our time doing street outreach. Uh, we use our personal vehicles and we, we go out to the camps where we can find um, larger groups of unsheltered individuals. And we provide them with uh, the survival, basic survival needs, you know, Maslow's lowest hierarchy of food, water, tents and sleeping bags for shelter. We provide propane to make sure that they can cook food and heat their, uh, heat their spaces in winter. Um, Ultimately, we would like to get to the point where we are um, building and running a tiny home community um, where we can provide permanent supportive housing to folks so that they can pull themselves up out of out of tent living, out of um, out of living on the sides of roads and really get them back to uh, productive lives and lives where they can feel successful. That's fantastic. So um, when I, I did some background work. I mean, background study, I suppose, on the homelessness issue. And certainly there's this talk of the homeless czar that's been um, given the job here in the state of Utah, Wayne Niederhauser, is that correct? Right. And so um, I'm interested in knowing, have you been able to work with any of these committees? Or is there, I mean, are they reaching out to you knowing that you're out there on the ground actually, you know, knowing the population, so to speak? Do they They work with you? Okay. Yeah. They are. They're, they're including me in the Salt Lake um, Coalition to End Homelessness. Um, I've been attending meetings for Shelter the Homeless, uh, which is another big organization that makes budget decisions throughout the, um, throughout the state. Um, I have, uh, I'm, I'm meeting with Andrew Johnston, who is, I think, Salt Lake City's counterpart to Wayne Niederhauser. Um, He's, uh, he recently left Salt Lake City Council to become full-time, uh, the, the full-time homeless coordinator for the Salt Lake City Mayor's Office. And uh, so I am making the connections um, and attending the meetings and able to provide feedback on what, what homelessness looks like from the street level and from the individual's level. Uh, and I think that that is really valuable because... A lot of these folks, I will tell you that there's nobody in the homeless services world who doesn't care deeply about these issues and about the people who are experiencing homelessness. But um, there is, there are levels of disconnect, um, and some of the folks who are doing this work have never worked as a homeless service provider, or, uh, for example, Wade Niederhauser. That's not his background, uh, although he's, you know, he's definitely trying, and he's really, he's coming up to speed quickly. But it gives us the opportunity for to, to take high-level policies with big budgetary decisions and discussions about, you know, how many uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars are we going to put into this program and bring it back down to, is that going to address the specific needs of these folks on the street? So I really appreciate the ability to interact with folks um, that are making these big budget decisions and come back and say, I think that's great. And can we try it from this angle? Uh, and they have been very welcoming and and generous, allowing you know new voices to the table. That's fantastic. So I've just read you know different PDFs that are available online and the fun little flow charts, etc., of uh, you know, different groups. And sometimes I certainly worry about bureaucracy and about uh, government getting so big that really the help doesn't ever get down to the very bottom where it's actually needed. And so when I look at some of these large flow charts, I realize it's a complex problem, 
but I also worry that is are so many people busy doing their little arrow section of a flow chart that nothing ever gets done down at where you're at, the level where you're at. So have you been able to see the actual assistance get down to your level? I have seen it. I have seen the assistance get down to individual people. I've seen people get housing. Um, it's a challenging, time-consuming process. Uh, it can take anywhere from six months to a year from the point of time when somebody gets a case manager and a housing manager through to the time when they actually step foot in their new apartment. Um, and and I will say that I only see a few people housed each month, um, which is which is discouraging considering the numbers of folks that we have living out on the streets right now. Um, some of the challenges are... Uh, we have money for housing, as a matter of fact. The state was very generous funding housing over the last couple of years. Um, but it takes case managers to take people through the very complicated financial process of clearing evictions off of their records, perhaps clearing court cases, um, becoming acceptable tenants. To uh, Because at the end of the day, they, they are still renting an apartment from a, from a housing manager. And so those housing managers make decisions to protect their properties and, um, and to make the best choice for all of their other residents. And so it takes time to get somebody from the first time you meet them out on the street to clearing all of that background, um, helping them with their financial situation and getting them to a point where a housing manager is going to say, yes, I will rent you an apartment uh, based on the background that you're presenting with. So those case managers are very involved and, um, and unfortunately, we don't have as much funding for case management as we do for housing. And so I've watched housing dollars go unused because we don't have enough case managers there to to help folks through that process. And our case managers, do they have to be hired to do that job or is this can be something that's voluntary? Uh, well, we are trying to act as volunteer uh, we, we try and call it services management because case manager has has some specific ramifications. I'm not a social worker. Um, I don't have the background and the training that, that a full-time case manager might have. But what I can do is I can pick people up and take them to appointments. I can schedule them an appointment at the DMV to get their ID replaced. Uh, I can, you know, I can get them to doctor's appointments. I can take them to court proceedings and help prepare them for these things. Um, I just try and know my limitations where I'm not actually a social worker and I don't have some of the education or the background. So I, I try and when I hit those limitations, I try and hand off to an official case manager who is um, supported through the VOA or the road home or something like that. And um, what I feel like my job is, is to, uh, is to uh, provide as much time help as I can so that those case managers can focus on the complicated issues that they need help with. That's fantastic. I think I would feel that it would be somewhat overwhelming when you see so many people out on the streets and you're just helping the one. Now we need to help the one, but what do you do with the bigger picture? Does it ever get frustrating? It is very discouraging some days uh, when when people are coming to me and asking me for help and there isn't enough help to go around. And I think that that is some of the, the challenge that the entire industry faces. Um, it's a reactive industry by, by necessity. We can only fund or plan ahead for the number of people that we see right now. So this year we see probably 3,000 people who need housing. Last year we were planning ahead for about 1,000. And so as a reactive industry, we, um, we're always struggling to, 
to be up to speed. So right now we're planning to help. So we're just going in on a hard break, but let's on the other side, we're going to find out what it is that people can do to help you in your efforts. You're listening to Dr. Marcy show. It's already the final segment today on the Dr. Marcy Show. Welcome back. We have been talking with Wendy Garvin. I'm just going to call her our unsheltered population guru in the state of Utah. We're so grateful for all the effort that she does as the person on the ground, knowing those people who are struggling or going through an unsheltered situation. Currently, she is the one that doesn't look away from the problem. She's the one that will go right into the fire of the problem. So I really look up to her and I'm very grateful for the effort that she gives to all these people in our state. And I think it's interesting. You said uh, the year previous, they were looking at trying to find places for about a thousand people. And right now it's about 3000, you say? That's right. So do they keep a current tally of the people who are living on the street? They do counts, um, and they'll they'll go out at four in the morning and try and go to all the known places and count the number of people at that point in time, and um, so the counts are as good as that can be. Uh, but it is a it is a transient population, so folks wander, and camps pop up, and uh, and we don't always know where they are right away. So, I would say we are always behind in the count as well. It's my understanding that there are different or various um, people who live in the, the homeless community, so to speak. Um, there are those who genuinely would like housing, but it's my understanding there are some who, who enjoy, I don't, enjoy isn't the right word, but who are maybe are more comfortable in a transient situation. Is that correct? We do see that. Um, and we, you know, we try and work with those folks too. What I find is that often that's how somebody will present themselves to you. Oh, I'm good with this lifestyle. I like the freedom. I want to stay out here. And then as we get to know them better, we find that the, uh, that the environmental effects are, are overwhelming for them. And so if you catch them on another day, they'll tell you that, no, they actually do want housing. Um, and, but they, there is a pretty big issue with mental health. And there are a lot of folks out there who, became homeless because they couldn't uh, stand up to the, the rigors of a 40-hour-a-week workday. Um, and so they, they end up on the streets for, because of financial issues and um, even sometimes end up self-medicating to deal with those mental health issues as they fall further and further outside of the system and can't get the help that they need. Right, and, and that's, that's the same kind of emphasis that other people have described to me because um, – in the the schooling and as a therapist, it's it's a similar thing, not just in the state of Utah, I was in the state of Texas and kind of working in this community as well. And it's the same reporting that what you're reporting. And the the point that I also want to make is it's not a one size fits all answer for everybody that's there. Is that correct? So, you know, it has to be this, this group, this is some of the emphasis that needs to be made and this group over here, this might be the emphasis that needs to be made. Do you see it that way as well? I do. I think that there are there's there's a two or three pronged approach. Um, 
I think that almost everybody who has experienced homelessness for any decent amount of time is going to present with some mental health issues because there's some severe PTSD from living out on the streets. Absolutely traumatic, I'm sure, traumatic. It is. And so there is a great underlying need for mental health services just to help people recover from the experience, even if mental health problems weren't what put them on the street in the first place. Uh, There are addiction services that are sometimes needed. And like I said, we often see that as a symptom where folks are self-medicating either due to mental health issues or even physical pain from getting beaten up on the streets or or the cold or, um, you know, lack of clothing or shoes. So, um, a lot of times we need to address some of those issues uh, to at, at the beginning of the process. However, it's really hard to address a mental health issue if you don't have the stability of knowing that you're actually safe that night. So if your PTSD is, is over a past event or a series of events, you can start addressing that as, as history and you can start with, I'm safe now. But if you're still living on the streets, right. you're, you're not still safe. In survival. You're still in survival. It's a survival every day, right? Exactly. So I subscribe to the housing first model where we try and give folks um, subsidized housing to get them back on their feet. And then there are various programs based on whether they come in with mental health issues or physical health issues. There are a lot of people with disabilities on the street and we try and give them, um, we give them subsidies either to get them to a point of independence or in the cases of people who can't work full-time, subsidize some of their housing long-term. But um, the goal is always, if they have the stability of housing, they have the option of then going out and searching for a job or contributing in whatever way to society that works best within their particular constraints. But without that housing to start with, they don't have the stability to address any of the other underlying issues. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. So I've noticed, especially in the last month, not just on local pages, so I'm on several different Facebook pages, not just on local pages, but in a worldwide prayer page that I'm on, so not just here in the state of Utah or in Idaho, people saying, I can't believe this is happening to me, my landlord, the housing prices went up so much, my landlord has given us 30-day notice, I've never been homeless before, I have four kids, or I have two kids, or I have a full-time job and I still can't find a place to live please pray for me. Or does anyone know anything? I've always worked. I've never, I can't believe I'm in this situation. And I cannot every daily, there are these types of posts. What is it that you'll say to these people? What is your thoughts on that? Well, if we can stop homelessness before it starts, we are bound to be more successful because we're not introducing that trauma of living in a tent or without physical security, without a door that you can lock and sleep securely behind. So we um, we try and refer people to existing programs, and Utah has some really good programs. We have a rent relief program, um, and we have rehousing models to try and help people who are being evicted. Um but, what does rehousing models mean? Because I don't think these are the people that haven't paid rent. It's just the the homeowners selling the house because they can make such a profit on it or the apartment complex or whatever. So that's why they are being removed, not because they hadn't paid rent or don't have income. So what is this? Where can they go to find a place to live? Um, well, housing, I'm sure you know, housing is very challenging right now. Um, that we we use the same tools that any individual would use to find housing, whether it's to find apartments or or homes. Um, but what you can do is you can go to Utah Housing Connect or 
um, or Utah Community Action, and they can provide um, things like, say that you lost your housing and you weren't able to save up the first month's rent that you need to get into the next place. Um, they can provide you with a one-time payment, or they can cover rent for a couple of months if that is the issue to help you, you know, get through with your landlord until you can earn that money again. Um, so there are a bunch of programs in place that are designed um, on the theory that if we pay one or two months rent and stop somebody from becoming homeless, we are not then as a state paying the much, much higher cost to subsidize homelessness that we pay when we are funding shelters, funding jails, funding the policing that must happen out on the streets once people start living in tents. Um, Absolutely. So- I totally agree. You stop it before it starts. It's going to be astronomically better for our for the state and communities than otherwise. So Utah Housing Connect is one place for people to go. What are what are the other ways that people can get the assistance? Is there other is it just Utah uh, Housing Connect? Uh, rentrelief.org is rentrelief.org. a is a Utah webpage that you can go to and try and receive help with rent. Also you can dial 211 and they will help you navigate all of the services whether it's Um, If you need insurance to cover a job, you know, a a temporary job loss, and that's what's holding you back, they they know all of the services, so you'll get somebody on the line who will help you navigate whatever your particular issues are at that time. So 211 is an absolutely fantastic resource. I was unaware of that. 211, a great resource to have. And then finally, Wendy, I'm interested in knowing what it is that our audience members can do to help you and Unsheltered Utah. What is it that you need? Well, we um, we collect donations, and that is that is the primary way that we provide uh, clothing and shoes and um, tents and sleeping bags out on the, the street. So anybody who has any items like that can um, can collect them in their neighborhood, or they can just you know clean out their their house. We we've all been stuck in our house for a year where where everything was closed that that took donations. So we're taking donations. Um, we will sorted and distributed out to the populations that need it. Um, we do take cash donations because we do provide um, services like we provide propane tanks out there out to the camps directly um, and we just swap them out with folks. So um, you can go to uh, unshelteredutah.org and we have a donation page there and there's instructions on drop points where you can drop off um, clothing or shoes donations. Um, and if you're interested in volunteering with us, there's a, a volunteer sign-up page. Um, we, we, you can do something as simple as cook a meal and drop it off, and we can pass it out. Or uh, you can come out with us and meet the population and help us, you know, hand stuff out directly to them and get, you know, directly involved. Uh, it sounds so, like and, there's a lot of opportunity for people from really small to really big, and that's at unshelteredutah.org. That's right. UnshelteredUtah.org. Sounds like they need any kind of help that you're willing to give. We're going into summer. Great opportunity to put the kids to work. Go gather up items in your neighborhoods and drop them off. Um, certainly a rewarding experience for you. I know I've done it with my daughter and it's been a great thing. So we really appreciate all the work that you've done, Wendy Garvin. Garvin. Wendy Garvin. <laughs> UnshelteredUtah.org. You have been listening to the Dr. Marcy Show. Always appreciate having you out there on fedbyravensmedia.com.